Thanks for listening to this Waterstone message. Here at Waterstone, our mission is to advance God's kingdom to God's glory. This year during our Advent season, we are digging into what it looks like to be part of a different story. Together we are rediscovering what Christmas is really about through spending less, giving more, loving all, and worshiping fully. We hope this message challenges and encourages you, and we would love to see you at one of our services on Saturday evenings at 5.30 or Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.30. We also want to invite you to be a part of our Christmas Eve service, Tuesday, December 24th at 1, 3, 5, or 7 p.m. 170. Ooh, I'm pulling my pants up. 170 radio stations in America that play Christmas music every day, 24-7. How many of you, like Jen and I, started listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Yeah, all right. The rest of you are Scrooges, okay. Uh, Why do we sing at Christmas? Well, there's something about singing. Augustine said that when we sing, we pray twice. Singing comes from the deep, from those places in our heart that long for joy or that have to express sadness. Singing expresses our profound loyalties and longings. There's something about singing. But there's something about Christmas. Christmas, how else can we say it? It's, it's, it's home. We want to go home at Christmas. Let's use those Advent words. We want to go to those places where we get peace and joy and love and hope. So either we go back to when we had a time when that was true of us or we're longing to go forward and find home. Maybe this Christmas it'll be different and we'll be home. There's something about singing and there's something about Christmas. So we're not surprised in Luke's narrative when he tells the birth story, that he lets us know that surrounding the birth event, there were four songs sung in Luke chapters one and two, four songs. And Mary goes first. She sings the first Christmas carol. After Gabriel appears to her and says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the the one to be born of you will be called the Son of God. Mary says, wow, (laughs) I need to go talk to somebody. And she goes and talks to her relative Elizabeth down in Judea. and, And by the way, Elizabeth, six months pregnant with John the Baptist, so that when Mary walks into Elizabeth's abode, John the Baptist starts preaching in the womb, <laughs> jumping up and down. And Mary has to sing. And so we're going to say her song together. We're going to read it responsively, and I want to give you a moment to prepare and <clears throat> clear your throat. This is going to be a good reading, women, men. And then I've also divided it up into uh, those over 45 and those under 45. So take a minute and remember how old you are. Everyone with me? Anyone need more time than that? Would you stand as we revere the voice of the Lord and lead out on your parts? Let's say this song. 
Women, my soul. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed... He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is God's word. Please be seated. The question that we are after this morning, as we set our hearts on worshiping fully, is why did Mary sing? Why did Mary sing? The answers are in verses 49 and 50 of, our, of that text, of that song. Mary sang, because for the mighty one has done great things for me, holy is his name, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. First of all, Mary sings, because God is mighty. Mighty means God has full strength in every time and place. Full strength in every time and every place. His power is present and presiding over every one of the seven billion plus lives on the face of this planet. He has individual attention to each person, and his power is at work. Let me say it this way. God made everything, thus God controls everything, and he is working all things to his unstoppable purpose. God is mighty. Now, we're impressed with strength. In 2005, the heaviest lift that ever occurred on this continent occurred during the building of uh, the uh, University of Phoenix Stadium with the retractable roof. We have a picture of the construction site. The way they built that was that roof, they, they put it together on the floor where the field is, and then they hoisted it with cranes and hoists up to sit on those four posts. The heaviest lift, that's impressive brain power to lift that kind of weight, no doubt led by graduates of the School of Mines in Colorado. <laughs> Any alumni in the house? 99% job placement rate? Probably working this morning. Now, <laughs> we're impressed with brain power. We're impressed with brawn power. Earlier, you saw Paul Anderson, the father of the modern weightlifting movement. For decades, he held the record for the most what, heaviest lift squat of all time. 
This was in the 1950s. He died in 1994. At that time, all the weights were homemade. He is lifting there this record. Guess how many pounds? 1,200 pounds. How do you know that? Oh, 12. Oh, <laughs> no, 1,200 pounds. Can you? That, that's six good-sized Waterstone men on his shoulders. Wow. That's impressive. How about this? Jesus is the mighty one. What does that look like? That means that while Jesus is with these fishermen followers of his out in the Sea of Galilee, a massive storm comes in, such a fierce storm that even these salty fishermen get scared to their death. And Jesus, uh, who was asleep actually, (laughs) they wake him up and he says, peace, be still, and the storm, The sea turns to glass. The movement of his vocal cords calms the storm. Jesus, one time during his height of popularity, paparazzi crowds following him, it was getting late in the day, and the disciples said, Jesus, we should send these people home, or or, or they'll have to walk home in the dark hungry. And Jesus said, let's feed them before they go. Well, how much food do we have? Well, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus says, thank you, God and starts handing it out and feeds a crowd of over 20,000 people playing on the energy matter equation. That's might. How about not only mighty over nature but mighty over the demonic world one time, in fact, shortly after this miracle, he comes back across the lake and uh, immediately is confronted by a guy who's been living in a graveyard and cutting himself. And to keep him away from the town, they keep chaining him, but because of the demonic forces in him, he keeps breaking the chains. And Jesus sees him, and the, the demons confront Jesus, and they say, we know who you are. And Jesus just points, go. And he sends the demons, a thousand demons, into a herd of pigs. And the pigs rush down the cliffs and into the sea, and they're floating bacon, and the whole town comes to Jesus led by the managers of the produce department at King Supers and said, would you please leave? Because we don't know what to do with that kind of mighty power. And there's more. Jesus is the mighty one. He never let a funeral finish. 12-year-old girl dies. Jesus walks in. Everyone's crying. Jesus says, she's not dead, she's asleep. The text says, they laughed at him. After all, we're the professionals. We know what death is. Death is permanent. Jesus says, no, she's not dead. Jesus never used the word dead. He said, she's fallen asleep. And then he says, Talitha Kum, get up. She gets up. He goes to another funeral of his close friend Lazarus. Same kind of thing. He tells his disciples, he's not dead, he's fallen asleep. You see, Jesus radically redefines what death is. Death is not the period and the sentence, just a comma, just a transition, just the move to the next part of the sentence. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And the scholars say, if he hadn't said Lazarus, that every grave to that time would have emptied. Jesus is stronger Then death. But there's more. 
He's the mighty one. Do you know how strong Jesus is, how much he can lift? He can lift what none of us can, the human heart. He can fix what's broken. He can put the human heart in its proper relationship with God and creation. He can change the human heart. How? By his mighty power presiding over lives. In John chapter 1, someone neighbors this guy named Nathaniel and invites him to hear Jesus. And as he's approaching Jesus, Jesus says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, here is an Israelite in whom there's no guile. In other words, totally transparent and honest guy. And Nathaniel says, Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus says, well, I saw you hours ago sitting under the fig tree. And Nathaniel says, what? That's power. You mean, you know my thoughts? You've been with me every moment of my existence? John chapter four. Jesus is at a well, a woman's there, bucketing up water, feeding animals. Jesus does something no other Jewish man would have done in that culture. He starts a conversation to neighbor with this woman. And after the conversation, Jesus says, if you knew who was standing here talking to you, you would ask him for the living water, and if you drink of this water, you'll never be thirsty again. And then Jesus says to the woman, where's your husband? I want to tell him too. And the woman says, well, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right in saying that. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. What? The woman, impressed by the mighty one, becomes a follower of Jesus, goes back to her town where she becomes the chief evangelist, and she starts telling people about Jesus. And you know what her opening line of her evangelistic conversation is? He told me everything I've ever done. That's power. Jesus, the mighty one, has power over the human heart such that when we see who he is, the grace that he brings, our hearts begin to be weaned from our selfishness, our materialism, our anxiety, and our addictions. Jesus is so strong, he can change our hearts. He's the mighty one. But you know, sometimes that's really hard to believe. I mean, just think about this moment with Mary and the angels. It had been 2,000 years since God first made the promise to Abraham that he would send Messiah. It had been 1,000 years since God renewed the promise to David, the great king of Israel. It had been 400 years since God had spoken through any prophet. And everything now in Mary's life is working against the premise of the promises of God. She is under Roman oppression, living in blinding poverty. God is silent, and some of you know exactly how she was feeling. Some of you walked in here this morning in a very hard place. Whether it's your health, your future, your family, your brokenness, some of us in this room may have broken one of the Ten Commandments last week in a big way, and you know that this week what you need to do is come clean and confess to those affected, confess to others so that you can get the help you need, and the only way you are going to be willing to confess that you've done that is whether or not you believe Jesus is mighty. 
Whether or not you believe, as John said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Whether or not you believe, like Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe Jesus is mighty? Present in power, full strength, in every place, time, and over every person, including you. Is Jesus mighty? Mary says yes, and she sang. Will you sing this Christmas? The second reason that Mary sang is because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Holy is one of those great uh, grounding words of the Bible. Holy, God is holy. And there's two senses to which God is holy. First, in an ethical sense, which means God is totally separate from sin, impurity, and unrighteousness, and totally separate unto purity and uh, righteousness and cleanliness. God is separate from sin and totally separate unto righteousness. He is existing in moral perfection. That's God. But the second part of the way God is holy is there's no one else like him. I mean, Fido and Dino are dogs. Tarantulas and scorpions are spiders. Adam and Eve are human beings. But God is in a class by himself. There is no one, no one like God. And Jesus came to say God is holy. And what Christmas means is that holy is his name. What does that mean? There's no one like Jesus. Just think about who he was in his person. He was 100% God. We'll talk more about how that happened in a moment. But he was also 100% human. He's the God who came down, embodied in flesh, put on a flesh suit, and walked around as one of us. Why? So that he could live the life we should have lived and give that to us so that God could look at us and see Jesus' righteousness in us. And he died the death we should have died so that we've been can be forgiven of our sins. He did this as the God-man, fully God, 100%, fully man, 100%. God, because one drop of his blood is of infinite power to save the world. Man, because he was killable. Killable to lay down his life for us. Fully God, fully man. How did that happen? That's the question. That's why we sing at Christmas. May we never forget that what Christmas is, is a virgin birth. That's intellectually hard to deal with. Even Mary struggled. The angel said, the Spirit's gonna come upon you, you're gonna give birth to the Son of God. Mary, all of 16 or 17 years old, says, how can that be since I'm a virgin? By the way, that's, Sweet 16 for, that's impossible. And Gabriel says, Mary, check your logic. If God is involved in this, then what is a Y chromosome after all? Child's play. Is anything too hard for God? You know, if you go here, I mean, believing in a virgin birth, that opens up whole new paradigms in your faith walk, such as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, ruling the world from Mary's womb. Wow. 
Can you believe that? Christmas is a moment, a decisive moment, when you have to decide whether or not you believe God is holy. Like no other. Holy. Christmas is God with mighty fist punching through the ceiling of history and saying, I'm here. Will you sing at Christmas? Will you sing? You know, if you do sing, it's not only the sense that Jesus is the most important person, holy, like no other, fully God, fully man. There's never been any other person like Jesus, not in any other religion. He is totally holy, unique. And if you follow him, not only does he become the most important person to you, but he gives you a most important life. If you follow Jesus, your life becomes a most important life because you become a divine partner in the mission of God to bring people to Jesus and demonstrate his kingdom around the world. You become part of a charged reality. You realize that you've never, listen, looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. You realize that every moment when you engage another human being is a moment for Jesus and his mighty, holy power to be on display, even by the way you engage them. You become a divine operator in the great plan that's going on here in the world. You live a most important life. And everywhere you look, you begin to see Jesus at work because he's the mighty one and the holy one. You know, it's something like this. I, I, I can't remember if I've told you this story before. And by the way, I'm not getting to that age where I can't remember what stories I've told people. Three years ago, I was hiking with a buddy uh, up near Nederland, 14-mile loop, and hiking in Colorado for 25 years. First time ever. I'm talking away. We're three miles from the trailhead. My head must have been down because I, I feel Kevin's hand on my shoulder kind of pulling me to a stop, and then I see his pointer out of the, my ferocious vision, and straight ahead of me, I look up. From me to Jim Friesen there in the church pew is a bear. On the trail, we stop. The bear stops. We stop. The bear stands. Taller than Kevin and I which may not be saying much, <laughs> but it was a big bear. Now for another sermon, I could tell you and fill five sermons with the things that went through our minds in what was no more than 30 seconds. But here's the point. After the bear, the bear just went back there, we were blowing, jumping up and down, blowing our whistles. The bear says, this is a lousy show. I'm not gonna pay anymore. <laughs> he comes down, walks around. We continue on. Here's the thing. Everywhere I looked for the rest of that three miles back to the trailhead, and I saw brown, I saw bear. <laughs> Kevin, too. In fact, he kept looking back so much that he actually at one point was looking back and walked off the trail and fell about 10 feet down. He's okay, and I laughed hard. But uh, <laughs> even this summer, when Jan and I were up hiking near Frisco, everywhere I looked, and it was brown, I saw a bear. When you understand who Jesus is, when you understand the depth of his love, fully God come to be fully man, when you let that rest in you, it's traumatizing. 
And then when you understand who he is, you begin seeing him at work everywhere around you and in your lives and in your conversations. It's happening at Waterstone. We've been doing this neighboring movement the last two months around Christmas where we're engage, encouraging you to have Christmas parties and engage your neighbors in new and creative ways. The Schroeder family sent me this picture this week. They put out this on their front porch. That's soda and all the junk food you could ever want. And, oh, if you could go back. Dear Amazon, USPS, FedEx, all, all the delivery person, trash delivery, milk delivery, and anyone else we may have missed, please have some treats. Thank you for all your hard work and for making our holiday season so convenient. God bless you, and have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. The Schroeders report that Slim Jims were the most popular <laughs> and that the Cheetos were carried off by the squirrels, so beware. <laughs> what a great neighboring moment where because Jesus is who he is, we have to tell people we see him at work everywhere. And how about this one? We've been getting tons of letters. It's been so good. Someday we'll have to get these out, all of them. But here's one that we got sent this week from Drew and Rachel Pyburn, who used to be on our Waterstone staff and this last summer moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Drew writes, we miss our church, but are listening in every week and we heard the call to arm our homes with hospitality. Larry gave a stern suggestion. Was it stern? <laughs> Larry gave a stern suggestion to host a Christmas party, and even though I am more introverted than extroverted, I gave in, and we printed some invites for our neighbors. This last Saturday, we held our Christmas party that started at 2 p.m., at around 2.45, our house was still empty. The house was decorated and the food smelled delicious, but no one had showed up yet. In an effort to ease our discomfort, Rachel and I sat down at the table and prayed. We prayed that our house would be used for his kingdom and that ultimately, regardless of how many neighbors arrived, we would be a willing vessel for his love and goodness. Over an hour, after we opened our door, we finally gave in and started snacking. <laughs> Rachel and I opened up some drinks and decided to enjoy the afternoon that we prepared. In an answer to our prayer, our neighbors showed up. Within the next hour of the afternoon, our house was filled with neighbors and friends. The awkwardness of waiting slowly dissipated, and we even had joy-filled conversations with our neighbors. Truthfully, I wasn't sure how the party would go. We barely knew most of our neighbors to the point that I didn't even know their names. But the Lord showed long before our waiting showed up and reminded us that we are called to wait, not only waiting for our neighbors, but waiting for the Lord. We waited joyfully, Thank you for the nudge to show glimpses of the kingdom as we wait. We had a great time with our neighborhood and made some awesome connections. The kingdom is coming even in Phoenix, Arizona. Holy is his name. There is no one worth opening up your house for than Jesus Christ. Mary sung because, sang, 
She sang because God is mighty. She sang because God is holy. And she sang because God is merciful. His mercy extends to those who fear him from over 45 to under 45. I'm glad we sing about all three of those because God is holy. He has cause and would be totally in the right to destroy us. And he has the power to destroy us. But God is merciful and he does not give us what we deserve. When he invades our life with his power and holiness, he doesn't do a hostile takeover, he does a merciful makeover. And he changes us and gives us hearts that can love him back. In fact, the rest of Mary's song is all about that. Tara will put the rest of the song up there. But understand what Mary is saying, that it's not those with the most education. It's not those with the most power. It's not those with the most wealth. It's not those with the most self-confidence who are in the right with God. Rather, it is those who come to God and say, I can't fix it. I can't do it on my own. I need mercy. As Jesus put it in one of his stories, the man who beats his chest and says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Oh, we try. We resist. We bring in our motivational speakers. We say we can fix ourselves. We can save ourselves. And Mary prophesies and says, no, no. We need a Savior. We need this Savior. We cannot do it on our own. And do you know the rest of Mary's story? Raised her son, became one of his first followers in John 2. It's Mary, <laughs> like a good mom, nagging his son, her son, Jesus, you can turn the water into wine. Do it, do it. Walked with him through his entire ministry watched him die on a cross. After his resurrection, the scholars tell us Mary was in the upper room. Mary was in to hear the Pentecost sermon in Acts 2. Mary became a foundational pillar of the early church. You see, Mary said, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. She became a follower of her son. What about you? Will you sing at Christmas? Will you see the beauty of Jesus Christ, that he's mighty, that he's holy, that he's merciful? Will you sing? My whole express purpose in coming to you today is to ask you to consider Jesus. Is there any reason why you should not love him with your whole being? Any reason? We were unworthy, and he counts us worthy. We deserve judgment, and he shows mercy. We were slaves to sin and death and insignificance, and he gives us the most important life. He forgives our sins, and he promises us resurrection. And do you know what resurrection is? Home. Christmas. 
If I find in myself, C.S. Lewis writes, a yearning which no earthly experience can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Will you come home for Christmas? Jesus gave us the words to do that, and if you've never done this before in your life, I invite you to do it right now in the quietness of this moment. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Will you do it? I want to say these words just as you reflect. Actually, maybe deeper. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See, by the portals he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home. Come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come Let's come home to his table. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it, remember me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup represents my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, Remember me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. In this Advent communion, we invite you home to the table where Jesus sits. He rules and he reigns because he's holy and mighty and merciful. Will you come be with him? Tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup. You can take it anywhere in the room to be home with Jesus. Gluten-free is in the back. We invite anyone who wants to know and love Jesus, even if this could be the first time that you come home to Jesus, come. Let's go home.